0: Hello, Liturgy Guy listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have another great episode for you. This week, we are talking about noble beauty and noble simplicity. You may have heard these phrases in regards to church architecture or the liturgy itself, and in fact... It's this topic that inspired this entire Liturgy Guys podcast. This is the question that we got at the lunch table that one day, and then we decided to make a whole podcast off of discussing things about liturgy. So, without further ado, Episode 8 of Season 2 of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy.
1: I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The Liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of ultra boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity
0: that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys.
2: You know, when I look at these microphones and the soundboard and wires, I see what appears to be sumptuous display. Yeah, very. The, the soundboardness of the soundboard is very opulent. You know, it does not I, look simple, does it? it? No. It's
0: got a nobleness to it, but it, you know, it's beautiful. Like, well, it is. Maybe it's a beautiful to you soundboard. It yeah.
2: It has soundboardness. It has no, there are no knobs on that thing that don't, do anything yeah right? but
0: i will tell you there's plenty of knobs what's this, on here what's that, this one do don't the, no no no, no. <laughs> but i will tell you that we're probably using about uh like there's like a five percent knob usage on this thing oh yeah i'm not I'm not using everything on
2: here. <laughs> well, There's, then that is mere sumptuous display, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. What a sumptuous display. If that had noble simplicity, then it would be way well, better.
0: Well, if it was, if it was, I'll, I'll tell you this. Tell me this. If it was nobly simple, it would only have the knobs on it that I that was using. Need?
2: Yeah. But you know what? I'm going to tell you. Yeah, please. Remember long ago I said, Dan Steele, who got this whole thing yeah, started, that guy. We, we asked someone to tell him, Dan Steele, have you listened? Somebody finally did. He Did was he back listen? home in his, uh, yeah, and he, he had already listened by then. But some lady said, I heard them say to tell you to listen to the podcast. So, lady out there in western, eastern Washington, thank you very much for that. But the reason that matters is because, remember how this whole thing got yeah. started.
0: So, he, this this whole podcast got started because Dan Steele, Father, Father Dan Steele, Dan Steele. Uh, was at lunch with the three of us. And we were sitting and he asked uh, Chris what noble beauty or noble simplicity was mm. And but he
2: said it, it a little more aggressively, I think. He was like, yeah. isn't it supposed to have noble simplicity? And it, we were like,
1: our yeah. well, I was especially I explained the, all that stuff yeah, you class. you were his teacher, I know. I know, He's you probably the that? least
2: aggressive no, person was, I know. No, he wasn't so. aggressive. It was just, it came out as, it was a real question, but it, it's it's a um, trigger. It's a trigger word for yeah, us. Yeah,
1: it was accusatory. Yeah, so what's sure. up with noble simplicity?
2: Well, it just, does say noble simplicity in Vatican II. So what's the sure issue? Sure enough. But it doesn't say it about art or architecture. That's uh-huh. a noble beauty, right? Noble beauty.
0: And I learned that when you guys gave me that stupid quiz on <laughs> Soxasantum <laughs> quiz. <Stupid Cochillium. laughs> I failed that
2: thing. But you know what's supposed to have noble simplicity, according to the document, authoritative documents of Vatican II? The mass. The rites. The rights. The vestments and the ornaments. Because I think people would say noble simplicity means no ornaments. But it says when you have ornaments, they're supposed to have a noble simplicity, which means you're supposed to have ornaments, but not extra ornaments that are unnecessary, like the extra knobs on your soundboard.
0: Right. Well, yeah. Those would be ornamental, I guess. I can do. I, well, they actually do work, right? I can do really cool them. sound effects. Can like, you do something? Try one. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm gonna. Okay, I will make it sound like we're um, on helium. Are you ready? Okay, do it. We're on
1: helium right now. we I'm gonna do it in post. Oh, okay. So it shouldn't sound like that now. No. Just play with it. Gosh, okay. I do everything in post. Oh. Hey, do you, guys <laughs> is <what> you <laughs> do post haste? All right. Anyway, we'll skip that. Bit. Okay, so, skip the bit. So, so the rites and what else? The, the ornaments vestments and the best the ornaments are supposed to noble simplicity. They should radiate noble simplicity. Is that right? They should radiate with a noble simplicity. Full nobilis simplicitate. So what, count, full what counts
0: as an ornament? Is like a chalice an ornament? A
1: tabernacle? Well, they can be
2: ornamented. an ornament is an, a thing added to something that indicates festivity or use or purpose. So if you put a cross in a church, it doesn't have any structural purpose there, but it indicates how the building is used. So if you have ornaments in a church, say paintings, mosaics, uh, leaves, flowers, things like that, they're there to indicate the importance of the event. But if there's too many of them so that the event gets lost and it looks like a flower show, then you have a problem. If there's too many ornaments on the altar that you can't see the altar, then that's not a noble simplicity. That's an overwhelm by... Uh, ornament so simplicity makes the truth of the thing clear that's what simplicitas does it allows it to its unity its unified whole to be known
0: uh, so when you are talking about flower show that reminds me of downtown Abbey where there was like that oh come on fla- oh, oh, down Abbey,
2: yeah flower contest
0: yes right. and uh you know everybody wanted to have the most pretty the the prettiest uh roses yeah prettiest roses prettiest and that was like a big thing in like the 50s and 60s like you'd you'd enter into like a flower contest mm-hmm. but what you wouldn't do with those flowers is like go overboard and do things like, uh, you know, put them in like gold leaf and make them so ornamental that you wouldn't even know they were flowers anymore.
2: Right, a lot of that term noble simplicity comes from their reaction against the late 19th century where they liked to cover everything with everything. I mean, Victorian furniture, Victorian churches are known for the more the better because it was the first time industrialization could produce all these mass-produced ornaments and people would just Mm -hmm. kind of glue them up on the wall everywhere. And they thought the alternates of the altar was getting lost under all these ornaments. So simplicity means... If it's noble, it's knowable. Mm-hmm. If the thing that it is is simple enough to be known, but the ornaments are still there to indicate its richness, its importance. And well, you hinted about.
1: at this. This is one of the things I learned from your class, Dennis, the, oh. what the expression gilding the oh, lily. Oh, if you guys don't
0: about. know this, by the way, at one point, Chris was in Dennis's class. That's mm-hmm. a thing that I think is kind of weird. I was Chris's teacher. That's oh. weird to me. He taught me
2: everything yeah, so he knows. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just thought What's you that? all should know that because it's pretty funny.
2: What's gilding the lily? If you have a beautiful pink and white lily, say an Easter lily, a big white lily, if you put gold leaf on it, you wouldn't see the lily anymore. It would be gold but it, the gold would not make the lily more liliness more liliness revealed it would make it less so
0: cuz you wouldn't be able to and you you told me this we were talking about a church um, in Chicago and you were talking about the the gold leaf on the leaves above the column mm-hmm. and you were saying there was too much of it right. because you couldn't see the leaves any the leaves anymore because it was gold everywhere
2: right so imagine a woman puts mascara on her eyelashes it's to make her eyelashes more knowable but if she covered her whole face in black mascara she would Obscure herself, right? So there's Mm -hmm. just enough to bring forward what a thing is, but not so much that you lose the essential.
0: Yeah, so if you're a woman make sure your makeup is like, there's like a noble simplicity to it. Right. You
2: remember Tammy Faye Baker? Are you old enough for that? Yeah, of course. <laughs> she was the wife of the evangelist, Jim Baker, and she mm-hmm. was known for having this incredible amount of makeup and she would cry and all the mascara would run down her face. And there was so much makeup that people stopped looking at her and all she became was this joke about all this makeup on her face. And so that was not noble simplicity. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a, an
1: ignoble complexity. It was gilding the lily on that one. All right. Yeah. All right, so just... To make it plain, uh, translate that now to an altar or some point in uh, in a church.
2: Well, the point of an altar is to for a beautiful thing, because what it what it actually says uh, about the fine arts is they should have a noble beauty rather than a mere sumptuous display. It's um, miram sumptuositatem. Sumere is the Latin word to spend. So rather than mere spending, look how rich we are. We're going to spend all this stuff to let the noble beauty, the knowable beauty, the revelation of ontology of the thing to come through. So the alterness of the altar should be clear but if it's so simple that it looks like a dining room table in somebody's house then that's not noble that's not knowable as an altar as something different from a table so it has to be rich enough and expressive enough with enough ornament to show what it is at the level of its importance but not so over ornamented that you can't see what's
0: is that a hard hard thing to do is it a fine line or do you think there is a some is a big area that you can work
2: with. Yeah, there there is kind of a fine line because sometimes we like to go over the top, you know, like a Rose Bowl parade, they make all these crazy floats out of flowers and it's kind of ridiculous, but it's kind of fun. The the exaggeration is kind of fun. Um, But when something's permanent, like a church, the idea is how do you express alternance? Just enough and not too much. That's the classical, the Aristotelian definition of beauty is the mean between extremes or the ordered uh, harmony of the parts so nothing could be changed or added or taken away, but for the worse. So if there's too much of something, if you have a third eye, that's too many eyes. Triclops. Right? <laughs> Just take that eye out. If you have one eye, there's Triclops. not enough eyes. That's an easy one. We're supposed to have two. Three is too many. One is too few. When it comes to other things like altars, you know, how much marble should it be or how much of this or that? Then it's a little harder question. But basically, the, the principle is the alternus in all of its magnificence, its eschatological glory, its Christness, its um, heavenly reality. And, but tableness, all those things should be manifested as glorified and not just ordinary. If there's not enough glorified stuff, then it's uh, not re- really revealing the sacramental nature of an altar.
0: I guess like, where this really comes into play in most people's minds is you hear people say all the time, oh, why do you need that like gold chalice that costs $10,000 with all these gems on it, and you could use that money to start programs for the poor people in your neighborhood and things like that? Like, that's, that's not simple when i when i think about something being noble uh, it is it is because well, i know that but tell the people who say that
2: yeah jared people who say that,
0: Gosh. Who say that. You, you know what you're talking about jared. jared come on
2: well the point of a thing is to reveal what it is at at the level of its dignity so we would say well an earthly simplicity is just to have a little clay cup but a clay cup does not reveal the heavenly glory that is actually a real component of that liturgical thing. And so it has to have that glory that radiance, that uh, notion of being set apart. In fact, that's what Vatican II in Sacrosanctum Concilium says, that sacred objects and are, art are set apart, and they should be worthy, becoming, and beautiful signs and symbols of heavenly realities. So that's the nature of those things, is to, be, of, to reveal heavenly realities. And if they, all they reveal is earthly realities, that's not simple. That's deficient. And deficient is not what we like to do. We like fullness of sacramental expression. There's a claritas problem. Well, right, because if it doesn't reveal what it is, which is what claritas is, then it's not revealing, and therefore it's not encounterable as a sacramental thing. So if you say, well, you know, anointing a child with oil and pouring water on the baptism, why don't we just give the water to some the houseplants, right? They really need it. This kid doesn't need the mm-hmm. water. Well, then the baptism's not conferred. And also, it's, don't water your
0: plants with holy water because there is some salt in there, and that would be bad yeah, anyway.
2: Yeah. So it's an it's a necessary component to say, what are we doing? It's not just an earthly event, it's a heavenly event, and there should be enough there so that it looks heavenly and enough there, not so much there that it looks garish and ridiculous
0: so uh, so is this something that we are seeing more in the church now that people have kind of stepped away from doing things the the correct way or what are you seeing
2: happening in churches now? I mean the false sense of simplicity? Yeah, yeah. Well, you can have an that's why noble is so important. Simplicity by itself could mean any number of things, but if you get that word noble, which is the
1: contraction of knowable, which is from Latin nobilis, which for it's from no nocheré to know. Would it be like be like the noble people in Downton Abbey? The, the, they're the ones that people know. <laughs> the the noble. people know. Yeah, they're known. The right. They're known. People yeah. know. Yeah, they're known. And they're supposed to live
2: up. According to their station, so that you know who they are, right? If the bishop comes in without the mitre, without his pectoral cross, without the footman, he's not known. He's not knowable as the bishop, right? So you might say, "Why does he wear that stupid hat? We don't need a hat. He's just a guy." Well, because he has the hat on, you know who he is. That contributes mm-hmm. to his revelation of ontology. Revelation of ontology, we call philanthropy. Good thing. Beauty. Oh, beauty, beauty, <laughs> beauty is when revelation of ontology. That's why noble, knowable. Is really the important part of simplicity. If it's too simple and you don't know what it is, so the chalice is not rich enough to be known as a heavenly cup, then it's not adequate. It's a deficient thing. So knowable simplicity, just what you need to be knowable at its essential nature of the thing, but not more, which would detract from it. You know, sometimes you see people buy an old car or something and they put ten thousand dollars worth of aftermarket parts on it, Mm -hmm. and little gold gold lights and little neon lights and all kinds of stuff, and you know the giant boombox in the back, and you're like the stuff on the car is more than the car like the car is lost under all this extra stuff
1: all right but jesse's question i mean so you've been in church uh, architecture uh, uh, consulting liturgical design for 10 15 20 years uh how what, old do you think i am Chris? I think <laughs>
0: very is the answer
1: Trying, and to try pull forward your, your, yeah, uh, your my expertise, expertise. Yeah. yeah so what have you seen uh, is is the reading of noble simplicity different now than it was 10 years ago
2: Oh yeah, nobody it. knew what simplicity meant, and nobody looked at the word noble, nobody looked at what the word, know, that the word meant knowable, and if it did, you know, if someone said, What's a, what does noble mean, you'd probably be like, eh, it's kind of good, right? but when you actually say, what does knowable mean, what does noble mean, then you have to say, all right, what is it? It forces you to the level of ontology, and that's always a good place to be, because if you don't know what a thing is, you don't know what to do, and so if you don't know what an altar is, then you make something deficient or excessive.
1: It's a good interview question for a, an artist or an architect you might be about to hire. What, what is your understanding of noble simplicity? Yeah, or noble beauty, right? Noble beauty, right? Yeah.
0: Right. So why why this? You sorry. They talk about this in the documents of Vatican II. Yep. So why why did chapter it only seven come, of Sacrosanctum Concilium? Why did it only come out then? Why Why wasn't this something that was you talked about before?
2: Well, I mean, in a sense, it was by the the liturgical movement ideas which were which fed into the actual council documents were already happening in the twenties and thirties. A lot of these folks were really reacting against Victorian, what they saw as Victorian excess. So a 19th century church built by some, you know, Irish uh, parish in Ireland, they were, you know, uh, oppressed by the English for so long. They finally get a chance to um, build a church and maybe they don't have the highest level of architectural education. And so they go to the catalog and they buy every architectural ornament they can and they paint every square inch of the church with all kinds of stuff that may be liturgical or not liturgical. They just wanna say, we're here. There's a natural desire to beautify the house of God. There's, I'm not you know, faulting anyone's intentions. But maybe there wasn't the sense of first things first, second things second, third things third, and so some Victorian churches were pretty goopy, filled with glass cases full of silk flowers, and the altars had these big uh, reredoses or these big sort of panels behind them, and the altar itself was kind of lost in this sea of statues or devotional items or murals. One of my um, favorite pictures I show in class: there's a, an altar in a church, and there's a little tiny altar. And the statue of Jesus is standing on the tabernacle, which is a no-no. And then behind that is a statue of St. Joseph. And up on the wall is a statue of the death of St. Joseph. And on either side is a statue of St. Patrick and the Sacred Heart. And it's all in this one tiny little sanctuary. And you're like, oh, yeah, there's an altar in there somewhere. But it's covered up with all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so simplicity would mean putting things in the right place and bringing out the nature of each thing. It doesn't mean reducing it so that you can't tell the nature of the thing. It's to let it actually shine forth. That's where this fulgiant comes from. I know you're the fulgiant
1: expert, Chris. What is that about? Well, it means uh, to radiant. Let them shine. Let them radiate. Let them be brilliant with. A noble simplicity. Yeah. Right. Again, I think the, the I know, analogy, the, the, the primary analog is that Jesus is on uh, Mount Tabor, when Jesus is transfigured before the apostles, he he shines out his true uh, ontology, who he really is, his own divinity. And so, what happened to Jesus on on the, the transfiguration should be happening in churches today. Right. What if
2: someone said to Jesus, "When you became radiant and transfigured on Mount Tabor?" That wasn't really noble
1: simplicity you know you should have just looked like your regular old <laughs> self why would you have this radiant glory that it was so radiant we of, need more light whiter right? than any fuller could make Is could you just dim that down yeah that's a little, little bit? that's a little, a little bit bit
2: more, more right. than our culture wants that's to like acceptor, 11 right? we need you at 10. <laughs> or if they say you're jesus let's cover you in gold leaf so you couldn't see the radiance of the transfiguration that would be a problem too that's not gilding the lily it's you know gilding the transfigured christ so if you cover up the, the, the ontological reality and it doesn't shine through, that's a problem. So like in a chasuble, for instance, if you say, well, you know, silk is kind of expensive and it takes a lot of work. Why don't we just have a little thin nylon thing? Well, it doesn't express the notion of putting on the garment of salvation. It doesn't express Christ and his radiant glory going into the holy, true holy and holies in heaven. At the same time, if you cover it up with so, many, so much embroidery and little, you know, gold trim and everything that you can't see the, chasuble anymore that's a problem that's an excess and so the ornament starts to overtake the essential thing so finding that mean between extremes is where is that's where simplicity lies and it's it's beauty and simplicity are really kind of sisters in that sense because if there's too much of something it obscures the beauty if there's not enough it obscures the beauty finding that middle ground that lets the reality of the thing shine through that's what we call beauty
0: when you telling me um, a couple weeks ago about uh, so much metal being in the chasuble that the in order for the priest to lift up the Eucharist, the altar servers, the acolytes, had to lift up the chasuble for him. Oh, I
2: don't know if it was because of the metal. Sometimes, oh, I the, thought you said sometimes was... the chasubles were really heavy, or they were
1: yeah, they were so embroidered really, and ornamented that they had to kind of cut away the and that's right, the part fiddle, of it. fiddle back is what
2: you that's call one that? of the shapes. Yeah, okay. it's kind of curved and then cut away at the shoulders. But the altar that's still the rubric that the altar servers lift up the, the back of the chasuble at the elevation. So. Sometimes the chasubles are conical. In the extraordinary form. In the extraordinary form, form, right. Right. Not in the ordinary form. Um, Because they're presuming now that they don't have chasubles like that anymore. So if that's not technically needed anymore, they still do it? Well, it's part of the rubrics, and it's preserved in the right, even though it's not technically needed. There's a whole lot of things that when things are fundamentally traditional, they're called artifacts. You preserve the thing that you don't do anymore. But it brings you into a living link with the past, like a skeuomorph. You. A skeuomorph. You mentioned that in one of the other things. Yeah, what, I missed the skeuomorph. I think, I
0: think I misused it. But uh, so I was telling uh, Dennis and Chris that, uh, like on your on your phone, that little app or the button that you use to make a phone call. It will often have, like, a handset, the one that you would, like, pick up and say, hello. Back in
1: 1984?
0: Not one of those, but it looks like a, a phone handset, like, that mm-hmm. had the curly wire connected to the right. wall. Or
2: the cam- it has the picture of the camera on it with the right. little lens yeah. and everything.
0: Right, yeah, but we don't, the cameras don't look like, or Dennis, you mentioned the camera makes, like, a clicking noise, but there's no actual, movement like, movement, that? moving parts. Or those are called what? Uh, skewer morph? Skewer morph. Skewer mm-hmm. It's a really cool a Skewer word. shape. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so that's kind of what you were talking right. about.
2: Right. Now, those add to the. Well, the reason they have those is because they add to the knowability. What mm-hmm. is this thing that you're about to press? Well, I don't know what a rectangle like my iPhone looks like, but I know that phone shape. And even though it's not literal, it contributes to the legibility of the thing. So it's actually part of. That's the nobleness of your app right. there.
0: Right. But it could. Be- it could look like a cell phone rather than uh, a phone handset right. or something like that. So, right. but uh, yeah, so especially phones to really riddle with those types of things. So, right.
2: but I think what you take from all of this is always back to the ontological question: if there's what is the thing? If it has a glorious, transcendent, sacramental, heavenly, eschatological nature, it needs to show that in order to be what it is. And that that complexity of of gold gems richness is actually part of its simplicity. Simplicity is this unifying idea that's clear and obvious, and sometimes those unifying ideas involve a complex array of ideas. Uh, so simplicity in the flat, earthly sense, not carefully thought through, isn't really what they had in mind. It was about letting the primacy of the, of the sacramental realities shine through, which is what the whole liturgical movement was about, which is why that's what Vatican II was about. Excellent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Chris, can we answer- Can we a- a- answer a Liturgy Guy question?
0: Yes, Chris. All right,
1: let's do it. Hold on. I know you want to leave by four. Okay. He is refulgent (laughs) with
2: desire Mm, to answer a liturgy question.
0: (laughs) He's something. All right.
1: right. (laughs) Let's do it. So why go to the liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to serve the church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition.
0: Mail Call! Oh. oh Moses
2: Moses why do you question me why do you care Today we have a similar debate over this Anyone know what this is class anyone
0: All right Dennis we have a question just for you are you ready Just for me Yeah So this is from Rudiger or what's the maybe it's a female what was the female's name Kunigunda Kunigunda Okay this is from Kunigunda Well let's say let's say Rudiger for this Okay thing. Rudiger or Kunigunda Thanks for the podcast. I've been telling my friends to listen. Keep it up. I enjoyed the second Coffee Talk episode and have a question about Dennis's discussion of using columns in churches. It seems to me that classical columns are fundamentally pagan in their origin and shouldn't be used in churches. Why should a column that was used in temples to false gods be
2: used by Christians? Thank you. This is a good question. It is a good question. Whoever sent this question in is very I'm, smart. I am Rudigerius. very... Mm-hmm. Since it's a question about columns, I'll call Rettiger Rettigarius. That's the Latin version.
0: That. Is that the pagan version?
2: I guess so. Rediger, why do you have a pagan name? <laughs> that's right. If you think about a lot of names like um, that come out of the Roman tradition before Christianity, they become Christian when a saint who's born with a pagan name becomes a saint, and then it becomes a Christian name from then on. It's a kind of baptism of that name. And you can say the same thing about architecture, because there are two ways to look at things. One is the pagan world is the opposite of Christianity, and therefore it should just be you know pushed aside and start over. But the truth of the matter is the pagans had a lot of things right. They just had also a lot of things wrong. And so people like um, Thomas Aquinas would look at Aristotle and say, wow, you know, he called him the teacher. We can... Take what he figured out, and a lot of it was really good, but then Christ fulfills and perfects those things. Or you can say the same about Plato or a lot of the Greek philosophers in particular, they weren't Christian yet. Uh, they could be easily fulfilled in Christianity, and, and columns are the same way. Uh, column has a head and a foot, as we've talked about, and a shaft mm-hmm. in between. A column represents a person. And in the ancient Greek world, sometimes they represented gods or they represented people who were slaves. And you say, oh, Why would we want false gods and slaves? But the Christians can look at a column and say, well, it's no longer a slave, but a friend. A column holds up the wall the way, or the roof the way a Christian holds up the activity of the church. And so it gets this Christian fulfillment. This is what um, the church calls enculturation. Mm-hmm. So you take something that has good in it and you glorify it, perfect it, bring it to its own perfection. And so instead of being the enemy of the church, the church actually lets this stuff grow to the perfection that it was meant to have and make it better than it was and can come right into Christian worship. What is
0: the limit with something like that? Because not, I, I would probably posit that not everything can be baptized to be a good thing, right?
2: Well, it has to be purified and elevated. So the rules for enculturation, one of them is that you never want to have syncretism. What's that? Syncretism is the combination <laughs> of things uh, mutually um, damaging to Christianity. So, if something comes into Christianity and damages it, you can't keep it. So you have to. So only, that's the opposite. That's kicking something out. Well, purification of something is necessary if it's contrary to Christianity, okay. and then you bring it in. If you just bring it in as it is, then you can get things like voodoo. You know, sometimes you go in these mm, shops yes. and you see these candles or these soaps, and if you, it's like got Mary on the. the can- Whoa, <laughs> what did you have for breakfast, Jesse? <laughs>
0: <laughs> These chairs are the loudest chairs I've ever sat in.
2: Uh, so anyway, if you go into a <laughs> shop and you see a candle and it might have a saint, somebody on it, and underneath it says, light this candle for the death of your enemies. That's not... that's does been purified. Yeah, you see those things. It's a kind of a voodoo oh, thing man. or a Santa Muerte or Centauria. It's a combination of a, of a false um, ideology with Christian theology that's damaging to Christianity. But Christianity, when it came to architecture, said, hey, the Romans and the Greeks figured this out. Columns are people, people are pillars of the church, and our columns are used in our churches. And so now we can understand them as Christian theological things, and therefore they're not contrary to the faith.
0: This question, Rudiger, has has inspired me to possibly ask Dennis and chris to talk about this for an entire podcast i'm fascinated by this
2: by columns or the use of of
0: by purifying things that appear to be or were pagan and uh, purifying them so well hopefully that answers your question retiger and if you have a question for us you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com thank you and god bless oh wait chris did you want to add anything to that yeah we tied them up
2: he was complaining too Yeah, much. Kevin was jealous. We, so we had to tie up Kevin, too. The two of them are over there yep. wondering when we'll let them go. It's a shame. It's a real shame. They need to be purified and sanctified. And elevated. And elevated. And absolutely. their syncretism will no longer be a problem for us. All right. Well, God bless. The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. Now that's a podcast.